Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Alehorn Podcast. This is episode nine. My guest today is Joe Eldridge. He is the founder of Shade Beast Records in Athens, Georgia. He is also a part-time Oreo reviewer and all-around good dude. So, um, how are you doing today, Joe? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on this. Yeah, man, no problem. So, just full disclosure for everyone listening, I am a Shade Beast stockholder. So, <laughs> you can take what I say with a little bit of bias, but, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> yep. How long? We've been friends for about three years now. I think I met you in 2017. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. I remember we were playing the show at the Orange Peel, and somehow I found out that you were coming. I just sent you some tickets because I was like, this dude's coming from Athens, Georgia. It's like a three-hour drive, so, you know, why yeah. not? Yeah, I, just, I went from there, so. My brother and I were doing, like, a brother's weekend up in, in town and just looked to see if there were any heavy shows in town, and we were lucky enough that you were playing at the Orange Peel. So I think that's how it started. I reached out to you on Facebook or something like that. But yeah, it was definitely on Facebook. But I remember kind of the, I remember the logistics of it. Yeah, it's actually the video is on YouTube, like the full show. Also, if you want to reminisce, cool. So the only, the only problem about the orange peel is like when you're a band our size, it kind of looks like Mystery Science Theater three thousand on the videos sometimes. You know, right, right. <laughs> so it's just like a few heads in the front, and you know, couple in the couple in the back, and yeah. But you know, it's fun. They pamper you really well up there too, so it's fun yeah. to play every once in a while and just kind of be uh eh, well, i guess pampered is the word i'm looking for they help you load up they help you load out you know they do really good thorough sound checks so it's fun to play up there but i wouldn't do it all the time it's a really spacious venue too there's like plenty it seems like there's big doors for loading in and out and there's parking in the right in the back so oh they got an elevator downstairs you park over there on the side an there's elevator. an elevator down there. You just throw your stuff in the in the elevator and and go up with it. Yeah, it's it's a sweet load in, man. I'd say it's a lot better than hiking the equipment up steps, which which I've done more than I'd like to. But you know, that's where the show is. That's where the show is. You do what you got to do. Yep, the curse of being a drummer. Yes. Oh, dude, don't even, at least at least Micah at least Micah he sings, but he's also a guitar player. So at least he has some heavy shit to lug. Also, he's not just a. Show with a microphone bag and you know stand around and watch, but so that's a, that's a good thing. You don't have an exclusive <laughs> vocalist to that. Uh. Yes, we all work hard to lug our shit around. Yes. <laughs> so, man, uh, how, what made you decide to start a record store in the first place? I, it's it's a it's a long and and strange evolution, really. I mean, it's something that I intended to do on a long timeline and i i guess it sort of started by selling records on facebook um through facebook marketplace in the early days i i was like i'm trying to think of what the the initial impetus was i i knew i wanted to start a record store at one point but the problem is how do you get inventory um without just get having a bunch of money to buy it out up front so i started the the journey of building up inventory by kind of flipping records on facebook and it went better than i expected and around that time i reached out to a couple labels like southern lord ripple and riding easy and um 
asks what it took to buy wholesale and basically you just need a, a tax ID number and to be legitimately intending to sell them. So it just, things snowballed really quick and I wound up opening a, a web storefront with the, the name Shade Beast. I had a wholesale account and before I knew it, the, the online thing was just going really well and I was building up inventory. So I thought I should start building some fixtures for an ultimate for an eventual record store like record bins and the the stands that they stood on so i had a room in my house that we set up as kind of like a prototype so that if i found an inexpensive retail space to move into i'd be ready to go and i'd post pictures of that online and people thought it was a real store and they wanted to come by and and browse so we entertained that idea for about three months, people coming to the house and like shopping in the spare room in our house, um, which was, which was funny. It was, it was really cool and exciting, but people wouldn't show up when they said they would, it was kind of an up by appointment only thing. Um, so there was simultaneously a demand for it and the awkwardness of people coming out to our house. So I found a, a inexpensive retail spot in Athens um, in like a shared warehouse um, artist space, like a one room um, spot with a locking door. So that was the, the very first shop there. So that's that's kind of a long, long explanation, but it just sort of materialized. Like I had the intention of heading in that direction and one thing led to another and it turned out to be fairly easy to get rolling. And just through hustling with Facebook posts and good pictures of records and made people want to buy them. So that was the beginning. I've always had a dream of having a record store with like a, like a venue or performance space in it for like, you know, full bands. Yeah. But the, the atmosphere up here isn't really metal friendly per se. Um, mm-hmm. There was a, there was one store that was pretty good. Like he had a lot of stuff in there, like a lot of metal stuff. Like he had a bunch of shirts, he had a bunch of like old, like poster reprints. He had vinyl CD tapes, you know, he had record players, stereo. Like he, this dude had it all, but the space was so small that you would like walk through and like knock shit over, you know? Yeah. I mean, it was like tight, but he's, he didn't make it. Well, I think part of the reason he didn't make it was he was pretty unorganized. I mean, like you would order a record and like three weeks later, he'd be like, Hey, your record came in. Like, dude, you know, that came in back about three weeks ago. <laughs> I already bought it somewhere else. So, I mean, so the town's not hard. It's a hard town. Well, regardless of the town, it's it's not a really great idea, like business plan to start a vinyl record store in that 2017 or even now in 2020, especially if you're going to specialize in one genre of music. Um, because... I say that because obviously physical media sales is is down. It's kind of a thing of the past. These these mediums are obsolete. And you, you hear these articles about how vinyl's outselling CDs and stuff, but I think what they're talking about is like the vinyl that Urban Outfitters sells. Like, um, I can't even think of any of those artists' names, but like those American Idol type singer-songwriters. And yeah the perpetual sellers like the Eagles greatest hits and Pink Floyd's dark side of the moon that they sell at Walmart and, and Barnes and Noble that, that vinyl sells really well, but really niche vinyl and collector type stuff that like independent metal labels put out. Another problem you run into is 
a huge amount of that that moves is actually between the the buyer and the label or the buyer and the band like people are, are have evolved to buying their records on Bandcamp from the band or directly from label sites like relapse or um, southern lord so to get back to my point starting a physical record store and expecting people to kind of keep you in business is is kind of a long shot and the the only reason that it really persisted in that small that initial store was because i it was immune to failure because it didn't need to make money i just if we didn't sell a lot of records we didn't get a lot of new records in luckily it it really worked out we we had a great, I think, a year and a half in that one spot. And then about a year ago, we moved to a true retail space in uh, downtown Athens. Is that where you're still at now, is the retail space? Yeah, we're, we're closed. We're, we're hibernating right now because of the, the virus. But um, yeah, sure. we're right downtown across from the University of Georgia on the main boulevard that goes through downtown Broad Street. So it's an ideal space. It's in a basement, which is really cool for a, a metal record store. It's kind of mm-hmm. it's literally, literally subterranean. You go come down the stairs and we've painted it black. So you're, you're entering the metal dungeon down there. <laughs> Do you get a lot of people just like passing by who like go down and just like browse and have no idea what the hell any of this shit is? <laughs> yeah. And I, I have a feeling you've seen pictures of what it looks like in there. My Yeah, yeah I have. My partner Marcus set up an altar. There was this kind of funky shelf in there that looked like an altar. Um, and we've got it set up with a, a skull and some upside down crosses and stuff. And the whole, the place is all black with a lot of upside down crosses throughout. So people will mosey on down there. And I, I don't know, probably 20% of the people that come down the stairs will look around and turn around and leave immediately. <laughs> they, they think that it's some kind of um, pagan um, rituals are happening down there or something, which, which is good because they weren't likely to buy anything anyway. So yeah. Why waste your time? You know, and I would have fun with something like that. I would probably do the same thing, you know, just to have a kick out of people coming down and look in their faces when they realize they probably don't belong or might even get murdered by a cult or something down there, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's kind of like a, uh, a, a filter like you have to be sort of accustomed to heavy metal and the fact that it's appearance mostly appearances and there's nothing really sure. sinister or evil but um to the uninitiated you come down there and it does look like something bad is happening down there i love it <laughs> <laughs> we need to get down there next year man yeah for sure I, me and mike have been talking about getting down there to athens playing and I'll get to more of it later, but the festival was canceled this year, but I was going to talk to you some more about that later mm-hmm. on. But um, we weren't, we couldn't do it, but I was hoping it would go good and shoot for 21. But anyway, yeah, I'll, I'll get to that later. So, um, so let's go. The name uh, Shade Beast. So I envision this name as a overweight, bearded, stoner, doom fan drinking a beer either inside or on our covered porch. Is that pretty accurate? Well, I, I like that name because it's, it's kind of a, a double, double meaning thing. Like, like Southern Lord, the, the label, 
when I first heard that back, God, it must have been the early 2000s, my initial thought was like an antebellum, like plantation owner guy, like a Southern Lord. And then after a couple minutes, it sunk in that the Southern Lord is actually like Satan, like the Lord of the Southern realm, you know? So the shade beast is kind of like that. I think it, it, it could be like just an animal laying in the shade, like a cow, like a hippopotamus or something like that. But if you think about it for a second longer, it's a beast in the shadows, you know, a shade beast. So I never really visioned it as a person. I think of it as sort of like an ambiguous, like creature of some sort, just out of, uh, out of the light. Okay. Um, yeah. That's a way different vision. Than what I had, I just assumed it was just a metal fan stereotypical look you know <laughs> which i've pretty much fallen into <laughs> well that is yeah you and i look fairly similar and most of the people most of the men who listen to metal at this point resemble us the bearded dudes the beer drinking type guys um but uh, regarding the name i mean really like anything else like naming an album or a band or a song you just kind of brainstorm trying to come up with something that hasn't been taken at this point because everything's been thought of. Um, yeah. And it kind of, it kind of pushes you to hyphenate words or make words up. And I didn't want to make something up like a black metal band's name or something really complicated like that. So I think it literally took about two weeks of just kind of sticking words together. And when it hit across, hit on something that I thought sounded cool, I'd look it up and lo and behold, there was a band called that, or there was already a store called that or something. So it was a long process, but I think we, we nailed it. Cause it's a good, it's a good brand name. It, it sticks in your head. It's easy to remember. And, and most importantly, it sounds cool. Yeah. Sound cool is always a, a good eye catcher for sure. At least yeah. to yeah. even get people to click on your site or come in the store. Related to that. I, um, when, when we first, came up with that name i sort of picked a logo like picked a standard font from the the free font library one that i thought looked looked like the germanic old english type font but a little sharper and uh, since that was sort of cast in stone and we started printing things on it and printing shirts and stuff i realized that typeface is used everywhere so especially back when we were just using the standard typeface it was kind of embarrassing because I kept running into things that um, use the same exact font. Like just recently I saw that Matt Pike's signature lace pickups, the dirty Heshers, it's the exact same font. And it was not intended. Like I didn't mean to copy anything like that. Um, but thankfully with some graphics help, we've sort of modified it a bit. So it's a true logo that's uses that same font, but it's been, it's been messed with a bit. So I think it's ours now. Yeah. When we first started the band, like we went through a couple fonts and then I found one that was like really cool. And the font name was Hyborian, obviously to do with like Conan and stuff like that. And nobody was really using it, man. Like I never really saw anything in that font. And then like one day I was like at Lowe's or something. And there was, there's a cover band in town and this cover band used the exact same font for their stuff. So I was like, right then I was like, you know what? I was like, this is fuck this. I was like, I'm yeah. not being associated with some damn cover band because I have the same font. So we eventually got uh, David Paul Seymour to draw us up an original logo that 
it's a like one of a kind kind of look. So I'm, yeah, yeah, we're sticking with it because that wasn't cheap. <laughs> yeah, I actually talked to him about that same thing. I was actually um, talking to him about drawing a logo at one point. Also, I think he did the Conan logo too, didn't he? Yeah, he does a lot of work. He's pretty good friends with John Davis. Yeah, for what I understand. So yeah, he does a lot of work for them. Um, yeah, but I think he does shirts, shirts and stuff for him a lot, and. I'm not so sure about album covers, though. Well, I'm just talking about the the Conan logo, like with the two sides, the sickles for the C and the, the end of the N. I, that look, I mm-hmm. think, if I'm not mistaken, that might be a DPS-drawn logo. I don't know for sure, but I'm, I'm, it looks like his kind of work, so I would almost yeah. bet it was. I need to contact him about being on one day anyway, so I'll find out. Good idea. Yeah, I've met him. Uh, I met him here in Asheville one time. He came down. He was doing like a Q and A burial since he does all their artwork. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I just like sat there and like shoot the shit with him for like an hour that night. And then, then like the next day, he invited me back out to drink some more beer with him. So I was like, yeah, I'll come out. So yeah, beer was on the house. I was like, shit, I'll go. So That's yeah. Cool. So we hit it off just talking about you know metal and stuff like that. So he's a cool dude. I like him. Yeah. The speaking of burial cans, um, I kind of was trying to collect those for a while um but really it's really hard to get that beer here in georgia i think they stopped the distribution even to this state and on top of that they have like weekly releases it seems like there's hundreds of different burial beers that come and go so i've lost i lost the plot a while ago i have about 40 (laughs) 40 burial cans with his artwork on it up here in my house but haven't acquired any more lately dude i live like 25 minutes away and i couldn't even keep up if i wanted to they're they're always like having like limited releases mm-hmm. and they have a lot of stuff that's just in-house you can buy they don't even like distribute to stores or nothing so it'd be really hard out of state to get every single can yeah well the good news is here in athens we kind of have we have lots of local breweries here but we kind of are establishing a relationship with one called academia and they have a very similar sort of metal vibe about them. They're um, real sort of austere graphics with a bit of like pagan overtones. Um, right. And they have really cool releases like seasonal ones and limited ones. And uh, they've sort of collaborated with us on the shows that we sponsor. They're sort of co-sponsoring that and providing beers to the band and the, um, the social club that we have associated with the store, they, they throw us cases of beer and stuff too. So we don't need burial anymore. We have our own, our own brand <laughs> down here. <laughs> yeah. As for as metal as like burials, like artwork and stuff is, they don't really do a whole lot to promote like local metal stuff, which I'm, I'm always kind of surprised about. Like, like they'll jump on like the uh, decibel, like beer and metal fest, like a Philly and stuff or like, LA. Like they're all over that, but if it's like a local show or whatever, even like a big band coming through, they don't really have anything to do with that. I always thought that was kind of strange, but yes. it's their prerogative. They can do what they want, but right. Well, the metal metal scene, the metal subculture, doesn't have a a lot of money tied up in it, so that may have something to do with it. True. I did get a sponsor like our little festival we do in November one time. It was. It was worth it, man. They sent us this, uh, they sent like some free beer for the bands. I mean, it was like the it was like their like Bud Light equivalent, you know, like just the everyday swill. 
And then they uh, sent some like pretty premium stuff to, for the bar to sell. So, yeah, they told me uh, that was like one of the highest selling uh, nights for beers when I got Burial to sponsor that festival because everyone just came for the Burial. So I was like, sweet. Cool. So, <laughs> yeah. Let's move on to the sticker phenomenon. Um, <laughs> dude, these stickers are like something else, man. Like they really took a life of their own. Like, how did even that idea get started? Like, doing the well, stickers with, like, really big artists. If It's kind of obvious they're just sort of a, a ripoff of, like, Shepard Fairey's style street art stickers. Like, the um, Under the Giant phenomenon. Or, like, the Obama Obey format. It's actually, that's the actual format that we're using. So the original idea was just to come up with a sticker that we could give out with records and that people might stick around in their clubs and initially print a lot of them and give them out and just sort of get the Shade Beast name on the bathroom walls of heavy metal clubs around the the country and around the world. So the first three were drawn by my daughter. They're illustrated, the, the map hike, the filthy and the wino and those were really popular people people liked them we we printed quite a few of them but um she was kind of slow in producing the drawings and i wanted to get to the point where we were putting out one every week or two so i kind of switched mm-hmm. to a, a silhouette sort of ink, ink blot sort of format with by photoshopping photographs of people um and the first couple were authorized like Pike and Wino um, gave the thumbs up to doing a sticker of them. And uh, after a while, we like once Tom G. Warrior approved his sticker, I was like, all right, people are, these musicians are actually kind of flattered and, and really dig them. So I didn't necessarily ask permission moving forward. And thankfully, people not only like them, but the people who are on the stickers actually kind of like them. And more often than not, they ask to have some sent to them which is really cool but it is a weird phenomenon i think the stickers are the most popular thing that we do like i think some people think that we're just like a street artist organization or something because they're overseas people send me photographs of these our stickers in nightclub bathrooms in sweden and germany and all over the United States. It's, it's funny. It, it's kind of, it's really a testament to the interconnectedness of people that are into heavy music. Um, everybody kind of runs in the same circles and um, are on the same social media groups and things like that. Yeah. I've, I've put a few up myself and um, we also carry some stickers with us when we play shows. I just put them out on a table or if the bathroom hasn't been decorated with one yet, one usually goes up. Yeah. You know, the problem with them is, is, is they're, they're, we do high-quality vinyl stickers, and they're easy to peel back off. So I think a lot of people place them, but then they get harvested back off by people who want them. The original idea was to print, like, thousands of these stickers and just sort of let them proliferate all over the place. But people really liked them and kept them and didn't want to um, stick them. So we sort of flipped it around and made them a little more limited and more like like – uh, a collectible thing i guess so yeah. at this point we only print between 250 and 500 of every one and people snatch them up pretty quick 
Yeah, I missed out on the like silver Black Sabbath series that you did. Yeah, I, <laughs> so I, I used to keep up too, but I was like, man, I got to order some records every time I get something. It's getting expensive. Well, well, that's how we made them. People kept messaging me like, how can I just get stickers? And I'm like, well, technically, I don't think it's appropriate to be selling them because we're selling other people's image. We really just want them to be right. an advertisement for the records that we sell that these people are on. So we made them available on the .com just with donation. You can grab a six pack of the stickers. But since we did that, usually they all go that way and there aren't a lot left over to give away with records. So that's when our printings got up to like 500 and 750. I think the big ones, most, I knew that Cliff Burton was going to be huge. So we printed a thousand of those. Connie Burton, Cliff's sister, approved that one. So I didn't feel bad about doing it. She thought it was a cool tribute. So we went ahead and did a thousand and made them available on the website. And I, I think that thousand was gone in about two weeks. Um, uh, we have three of them in our band practice room. So yeah, I think you sent me, you sent me a few, you know, it's like a sticker pack to like give out of shows or whatever. Yeah. But we put one behind our bass player because it's like really intimidating. <laughs> right. looking, you know, you know, it's got like a look of disdain. <laughs> the, uh, maybe it's the color red, but the, the Chuck Schuldiner one was massively, that one disappeared in a week. I mean, we made it available for direct purchase with the donation and they just all sold. I barely gave any away with, with purchases. And we've reprinted Peter Steele one twice. Ladies love Peter Steele. The first printing was 500 and then last October we printed a thousand and they're out there. So it's a strange phenomenon that our most popular thing is a thing that we don't, don't really sell but it's, it's great publicity. Yeah. Getting back to the ladies and Peter Steele. Um, <laughs> the first time, no, the second time we played the orange peel typo negative had just played there. Like I think a week or two before we did. Mm -hmm. And the sound guy was talking about metal bands and he said that Peter Steele was like one of the biggest pain in the asses because he apparently found two ladies that would, you know, like to hang out with them in the back per se. Uh -huh. And the show ran like 45 minutes late because he got him to do what he wanted right at showtime. And when they, when the sound guy went back there, be like, Hey man, you're up. You know, he like opened the door and it was just all out there, you know, and he's like, I'm busy. I'll just get out there when I'm done. But I'll never forget that story. Cause I was like, damn, I, I was like, <laughs> I was like there's some of these rumors are really true, you know? So yeah, I always thought it was pretty cool. Just, I heard that from someone's experience. <laughs> The last rock star. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, have you ever like been denied by anybody for the uh, stickers? Um, or trading not, cards now? Not denied directly because they didn't want us to do it, but they were too humble. They thought it would be weird, and they weren't comfortable with it. So, because they um kind of had that attitude we didn't go ahead and do it i won't mention who the, the musician is but i'm trying to think no no one's ever really been denied and like i said the fact that abbeth and pike and tom g and shit wino has them all over his guitar case i saw him acoustic with zaster a couple of years ago 
and every guitar case had that purple shade B sticker on it. So I'm like, if my heroes don't mind us sort of paying this kind of tribute to them, then I don't understand why uh, a smaller, more up and coming band would not be flattered by it. Not that we're a big deal, but I mean, they're in good company. If you look at all the people we've, we've put on those stickers, we're kind of considering them big influences or significant people, you know? Yeah, there's actually people that you put on stickers. I I didn't even know who the hell they were. I was always gotta like look them up because I'm like, yeah. I wonder who this guy is, you know. So there there yeah. have been a couple that were benefit stickers. Um, um, so like a couple local people who had been injured or had health issues. So we issued a sticker and asked for donations in order to get them. But that was a couple of years ago. Since then, we've gone with much more um, significant folks. Um, what I have learned is not to it, asking people's permission sometimes gets them involved and they have a preference about which photograph we use, which can derail things and slow things down a bit. So it's easier to ask forgiveness and obey the cease and desist than it is to get someone involved in their own sticker design because they tend to have be too picky about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was gonna ask since you had the Cliff one. I was gonna, I was gonna ask if you tried to do uh, the classic era Metallica series at any time and got turned down. No, and actually, I kind of the the sort of the the spirit of these stickers is to have it be the unsung heroes and the cult following type folks. So I definitely wouldn't do James or Lars. Okay. Um, okay. We, we talked about, I don't know if you've seen our shirts, but there's an artist, Max Siebel, who does this style of sort of zombie illustration of, of people. We did a, he did a Lemmy one, and then he later did one of Tony Iommi, um, like undead versions of people. And there was an opportunity where I was going to possibly be in the same place as Kirk Hammett. So we wanted to kind of do an undead Kirk ver- t-shirt so that we could give it to Kirk when, when we met him. It didn't wind up happening, and we didn't do the shirt, so that's just fine. That's probably the closest to the classic Metallica that uh, we'd feature on something. I think with the, the new trading cards, if we wind up doing like a Thrash series, it would be impossible to ignore the Metallica guys, but... um. Until then, I don't think we'll be doing a sticker of of James or Lars or Kirk. Gotcha. So the trading cards, like I haven't seen them yet because they're pretty new. Do you just have like the face on one side and some like stats or something on the back? Like yeah. a baseball card or something like that? Yeah, that's the idea. Similar to... That's cool, man. I, I've always thought that was a good idea and I... I know there were thrash cards back in the 80s or early 90s. But aside from that, I've never really seen rock cards with like musicians on them. And it just seems like something that would be ripe for for doing that. But it's such a it's very time consuming and and compiling the information on the back. And it wasn't until this coronavirus lockdown that I thought, well, now I have time. I mean, I have more time than I know what to do with. So now's the time to maybe look into doing these because you have to the the fronts that we're doing i'm applying an illustrated effect to people's faces 
to make them look a little more illustrated, like a graphic art, graphic um, novel illustration. And then the backs, basically, since we're keeping it oriented towards the musician, not their band, it's basically just their name, their skill, like their powers, we're calling it their powers, whether what they play, if they sing, write songs, the groups that they've been affiliated with, and then like a brief, like select discography, like the most significant releases of, of the person's career. So similar to a baseball card, but a little, a little more simplified. Okay. Yeah. I have to, I'll check some of those out sooner or later. I actually got an order. I'm going to put in here pretty soon. So maybe you'll send me some up. Oh, I'll, I'll hook you up with all, all of them. They, they're really fun to do. I mean, I'm hoping that people aren't going to get their feathers ruffled by the fact that they're on one, because again, we're, we're just doing them as, as a tribute and an artistic right. project. And with as much respect as we can possibly apply to it. So this first series is focused on doom musicians of the doom metal world. And when we get to 12, I'll release the whole 12 pack with a secret sticker and the, um, the, the stale piece of bubble gum in there and everything, just like, uh, <laughs> the, the star Wars cards of 1979. But yeah, it, it's, it's just a fun thing to do. And it's something to give away with purchases is like, a a freebie to put in the package and to encourage people to keep on shopping with us so they can collect them all. But again, people asked if there was a way to acquire them without purchase. So we put them up there as a quote unquote donation to help cover the cost of production. People seem to be into them. They seem to have more interest than the stickers even because they're outright like collectible cards. They're, that's the purpose of them is to collect them. Surprisingly, Robert Lowe, um, the former vocalist of Candlemass, He's now in uh, Tyrant. His PR person actually reached out to me about being on one of the cards, which was surprising. And um, they asked about the terms. I'm like, well, we're not really operating under any sort of a contract, and I don't anticipate them making money. But if for some reason they really take off and they become some kind of a big product, then we would basically split the net profits with the, the person or the organization on the, on the card. I envision like in the future, like there might be like a uh, tops like catalog with like values of cards or something one day, you know? Yeah. Like we Kirk Weinstein conditions going for like, you know, eight bucks yeah. <laughs> or something like that, you know? Yeah. I'm, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm waiting for someone to steal the idea. I mean, I, I think it's a great idea. Um, a lot of people have probably thought of it, but actually doing something is the bigger battle, you know, and with all the time I've got on my hands, I'm just cranking them out. There's no real protection besides declaring them copyrighted to stop tops or somebody from doing something like that. But, you know, I mean, we're coming from the underground. We are actually like a roots indie metal organization. So hopefully right. that would be our ace up our sleeve is that if someone like tops or some card company comes out and starts doing them, they're just going to smell bogus, you know, it's just going to be a money grab. But the way we're doing it is really more honestly, uh, an homage, like a, a tribute and a artistic project. Yeah. I think it's pretty cool. When you started them, I was like, man, that's a, that's a sweet idea. All right. I really appreciate the creativity for like all the stuff that you come up with, like the, um, the artist series shirts that you have going 
and you know just the stickers and even sending like oddball shit in your packages Appreciate like for that. instance um yeah for instance we gave away the uh barbarian queen 2 vhs that you sent us up which i thought was hilarious right uh the dude that the dude said he had a vcr connected to his projector and he was gonna watch it and send a picture but he never he never did which i was kind of disappointed about vhs has a big following like vhs is sort of there's a subculture associated with especially with like horror movies um mm-hmm. But uh, in the shop, our current shop, we actually have an old TV with VCR hooked up. And we've got kind of a limited selection of old concert videos like ACDC, Rush, The Song Remains the Same, stuff like that. And it's, it's oddly compelling. Like, we'll always have something playing like on Saturdays when I'm in there. And people come in and they just sort of get engrossed in watching it. it um, it's pretty cool. There's something There's something a little more something intangible about VHS that you can't really put your finger on, just like vinyl versus digital. There's a nostalgia aspect that kind of sucks you in. It's interesting. It's the, it's the analog effect, man. It's the fact that almost analog stuff that with any quality, you actually had to like seek out and buy versus just look for it on, you know, on the internet and rip it and, or download it and have like a, yeah, yeah. Like a subpar version of it, like MP3 or you know, stuff like that. So I really think it's just like the, the effort to find and acquire analog is why people really hold on to that format, whether it's VHS or vinyl or even cassette, you know, it's kind of coming, making it come back somewhat. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's just the tangible, like holding in your hand, seek, seek it out, own it kind of thing that I think people like when I grew up in the, like the eighties um, really hold on to that from their childhood. Cause I mean, yeah, I know when I, when I would look for something and I found it, like, I was like so happy. Like I accomplished something, you know? Well, it's the hunt, the, the fun of the hunt, like looking yeah. for that elusive record or comic book or whatever that you, um, you want. The seeking of it is half the fun. And, uh, yeah, I like to your earlier point, I really myself really like physical things. Like I like books and records and magazines and I like getting information and appreciating art in that way, just because of the, the era that I grew up in. Um, so I think a lot of people miss that and to really young kids that, that didn't grow up in that era, they think they find it kind of interesting too. Like, sort of there's like an artifact aspect to it like this is vintage the way things used to be so it's appealing for that reason yeah i mean i remember like when i was like 15 16 like i remember like having my mom take me out to like Asheville, and i'd be like okay like just drop me off like at the mall and like the whole area around the mall like even outside the mall there was like music stores movie stores stuff like that i like just leave me there for like three or four hours and they come get me, yeah. you know, where you drop me off. And I'm just going to go, like, try to find this stuff that I've been needing, you know. Like, money I've been mm-hmm. saving up with, like, yard mowing or whatever. And I would just go out and, like, just browse. I would hit, like, all of the music, music stores in the mall, which there was, like, three of them. And then I would, like, walk across the street. And there was, like, a blockbuster music where you could actually, like, listen to shit before you bought it. So I would just, like, stay yeah. in there and, like, ask them, like, weird bands, like, the dude never heard of. 
I'd be like, do you have like, the Overkill album, Fuck You, on CD by any chance? He's like, what the hell? You know, <laughs> just shit like that. Because I was such a completionist in my, for my CD collections. You know, I would like have to have every single one. And then yeah. I bought the Risk album, and that pretty much ended that uh, obsession of mine. But uh, <laughs> it's, for, it's for another time. But, um, yeah, it, it was fun, man. I always enjoyed it. It used to be so hard to get things. Like, you'd you'd read about something, say, in a music magazine, like an album from a couple of years ago. And yep. unless you lived in a big city, like, you couldn't just go around and find it in a store. And, and there was no real mail order, obviously no internet. So it was like precious items that you had no way of acquiring so if you'd go to another town if obviously you'd hit the record source to see if they had your your want list you know yeah i remember going to like when we go to grocery shopping like at the food line that used to be open in the town i live in they actually got like metal edge magazine you know yeah. which i yep. would buy like religiously and i would go through there and i would just like look at either the musician or the album or the advertisements or whatever and i would just like buy it based on like how it looked like, I don't know why, but I remember this advertisement for like a Vince Neil solo album, and I was like, I don't know, maybe I should buy this. They seem to speak really highly of it, you know. And I, yeah. I went out and bought it and kind of regretted it, but um, yeah, you know. But it's just stuff like that where you just you couldn't you just couldn't listen to it and know that you probably should save your money. Like you had to take a chance on it. Like there was just no other way to find out other than buying it. And if you struck gold on a really good one, that you were just like, yes, but. A lot of times you would strike out. I would say there was more strikeouts than finding gold with that process for sure. But it was still fun. I still got some of those shitty CDs too. It definitely was a mix of, of like striking gold and total like disappointment. I, th- I think the, the biggest piece of gold I ever struck was when I was first getting into punk rock when I was a, literally like 15 years old. I went to this record store and I saw in the clearance bin, they had Iggy and the Stooges raw power. And I was like, Oh, Iggy pop. He supposedly has something to do with punk rock, like back in the sixties or something. So I bought it and brought it home and man, like it blew my mind. Like it was as good as black flag and the circle jerks. These are these punk bands that I was into. So it was, it's, it's, was fun to kind of discover that obviously I'd heard of Iggy pop, but I basically discovered that record in the wild on my own, which was an amazing experience. But like you said, it's not always like that. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I, I still have some of my mistakes. I, I'll call them in my CD collection. I, I like bring them out every once in a while and just like listen to one, just see if it's still as bad as I remember. And it, it always is. <laughs> it's yeah. just not some hope. There's just some, some, not some hope for some uh, music, you know, ever being good. Mm-hmm. Who would you say is the biggest artist that you've had come in the store in person? Uh, in person, definitely Matt Pike. Um, Sleep were in town, and uh, he came by, hung out for a bit. Um, there wasn't, there were no customers in the store at the time, which, which was cool because Marcus and my daughter and I got to have his attention all to ourselves and I was waiting for customers to come in and just have their, see their jaws drop, you know, especially like metal fans, but no one actually yeah. came in. Um, but as far as like, uh, let's see, Reed rally of the obsessed and wake came in a couple months ago. He was traveling with, um, death angel. 
lots of local bands, basically all the, the bands that come through town that are heavy. A lot of times, because like I was saying earlier, this, this community is so tightly knit and connected together via social media. If you're in a heavy band, you may or most likely have at least heard of Shade Beast. So people come by just to kind of check it out. And we started sponsoring shows about a year ago. So the bands that are coming to town because we're asking them to, they definitely come by. And a lot of times we're sort of like an extended green room for them. Like they'll, they'll get to town, check into a hotel or whatever. And then several times have hung out at Shade Beast for a few hours before sound check, which is cool. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Like I said, we really need to get down there next year. I'm not making a point to – we never even played in Georgia before, so. Really? Wow. We didn't make a point to get in there. Yeah. For some reason, it just never worked out. So the Shape Beast Fest that was announced for this year obviously got canceled. Mm-hmm. So now it's scheduled for next year. And the artwork for that uh, poster that you put on a shirt now is fucking – it's fucking awesome, by the way. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm actually thinking about picking that one up. Just because it's fucking sweet looking. Yeah. That that artist, Chris Perry, we were lucky enough to have him call Athens his home for, I guess, 20 years or so. Um, he's up in Durham, North Carolina now, unfortunately. But uh, we still consider him part of the Shade Beast family. And he's done, I think, three shirts for us. And uh, did that poster art, which was going to be the the physical posters and all of the social media um, posts and stuff, but when the fest got canceled, we'll, we'll, we we don't want to wait until next year to use it. So let's just do some shirts, and um, I think we're going to do some screen printed posters too of that same art. And uh, oh, okay, but yeah, he he's an amazing artist. He, and you've seen his posters, you've seen his shirts. He's done stuff for everybody. Um, Buzz Oven, Kylisa dozens if not hundreds of of gig posters um he's really prolific and you can find him on the internet by the way under sinister illustration okay so yeah there's some bands that you had booked well still have booked i guess for 2021 um so you got a uh, horse burner who we're pretty good friends with you have yatra who we've played with before mm-hmm. uh all hell is also from Asheville, playing yep. it you know, we we debated like I think the Sunday show was like a really late start, and we went back and forth since it was like a four o'clock start time. Like I was afraid that like, we wouldn't have enough time to like really sit and sell merch afterwards before we had to like kind of pack up and leave to go back yeah, home. Yeah. It's like a three hour drive, so I'm hoping next year, like maybe since you got like an extra year to like do planning, I'm hoping next year, like maybe Sunday, could be like an all day thing. We can actually come down and play without like having to rush off, you know, plus we'll have a new album out. Yeah. So. Well, if not on that festival, we'll, we'll try to get you on um, another date somehow. We, um, the right before the virus hit, we were kind of in this rhythm of doing like a Sunday showcase at a place here called world famous, which is a smaller bar and restaurant type place with a stage. And the intention of those shows was to kind of grab a touring band on their their downtime on their Sunday to pull them in just to fill a gap in their, their tour and to allow one or two local bands a shot at just having maybe their first show. And I know a couple of bands played their very first shows on those Sunday showcases. 
And then we were also doing with uh, Caledonia Lounge, it, on average, at least a show a month of heavy bands with slightly bigger draw, since that's a bigger club. So things, Daniel and, and Marcus, the, the Shade Beast Presents arm of things, we're really doing an amazing job of, of getting bands here that I didn't really think would come. And and several of them made the actual point of, of setting a date to come to Athens. So uh, it, it really was getting to the point where I was starting to think, well, this is going to get kind of big and we're building a scene here. So I think we may start getting bigger and bigger bands and move move up the clubs that were hosting these move up to the 40 watt or maybe the georgia theater eventually yeah i sent um daniel a uh, email i told mike you know if he had more room for bands next year to like keep us in mind with a year uh, with a year in advance we shouldn't have a problem yeah i would think making, so. making it happen plus chad won't have just started his due job so it should be a little easier to do sunday shows out of town for sure <laughs> yeah i i was really impressed with the lineup of the the fest this year that was going to happen um and i can see that just keep keep on getting bigger because athens is a music town and we've got the venues just like Asheville. we can move up to 500 to 5,000 or whatever i mean it can it can it's not really, it's only limited by the, um, the amount of people that we can get to come attend. Yeah. The lineup was awesome, man. I remember, I remember seeing it. It's like, damn, I was like, which would have worked out. Cause our name would look good on that poster as well. But hopefully next year, something could work out. Just yeah. let Dan, if Daniel's listening, just check your email. I'll send you one for a <laughs> follow up to that. <laughs> Hard to say when shows are actually going to resume. I was thinking maybe by August, but. Uh, I guess it's up to the bars and clubs to to be open. And once they're operating, then we'll try to start putting things on the calendar again. Yeah, all the venues up here, I think, are booking for June in case, like, everything's allowed. But they just, like, reopened, like, national parks, like, this weekend, I think, or or state parks are opening up this weekend. So it'll probably be a while for the venues to get, you know, to open up with even limited capacity. Yeah, it's kind of... I don't know. We'll see. I mean... Who knows? I mean, like, I know Heavy Mountain was canceled because it just wasn't a sure thing for September to be up and going. And plus, like, tour routing was like a nightmare because nobody really knew what was going on. So nobody could really commit to, you know, coming all the way to Asheville for one show if they weren't touring and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's just on hold till next year, which I, I kind of figured it would be. But that's the realities of it, I guess. Completely understandable. All right, man. Well, let's get to the lightning round. I'll just ask you some questions and just tell me uh, which one you think is better. Okay. So some of these are pretty stupid. Some are pretty fun or pretty serious. Okay. So I was like mixing it up. Okay. Uh, Merciful Fate or King Diamond? Merciful Fate. I agree. Uh, better Scandinavian metal, Swedish or Norwegian? Norwegian. Okay. I went uh, Swedish on that one. Uh, better format, not vinyl, CD or cassette? Oh, I'm fonder of cassettes for nostalgia reasons and art, like just as art pieces, but obviously CDs are more durable and, and sound good, sound perfect, you know? Yeah. And I grew can- up on CDs, so I'm a CD person myself. 
I mean, I like I, I like vinyl first, but then CD is like my second. You know, I came across some CDs in a thrift store a couple months ago. Someone had either dumped their metal collection or somebody had sold it behind their back, and there was the, all these incredible CDs in there, like just everything, like High on Fire, Mastodon, Torch, Weed Eater, um, lots of stoner metal stuff, and all in excellent shape. And I was like these are really nice pieces. I haven't, I hadn't really bought a CD and I don't even know how long, maybe 15 years, but just seeing them all at all at once. And this deluxe packaging, I kind of was like, CDs may make a comeback. They may come back. You know, the thing about CDs is like, I'm really into collecting CDs with like um, DVDs included with them. Mm-hmm. So like, I got like some Opeth albums that have like full making of documentaries. I got like, um, a couple albums with like live concert, uh, like a full concert, uh, DVDs included with them and stuff. Right. So like, I really, I, I actually look for that kind of stuff too. when I buy just to have something extra I can watch, you know, cause yeah. I mean, I always watch, I watch a lot of music documentaries. So like if I could just own them, that's even better, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm kind of a packaging nerd. So like if something, the product itself, the packaging, the artwork is cool. I'm a sucker for it. Like the, the CDs I was just mentioning had uh, Torch's Meanderthal CD in there. And the booklet expands to like 16 panels. It's like three feet wide if you completely unfold oh, it. Oh, wow. <laughs> it had the that illustrated artwork throughout it. And I was just like, wow, this is amazing. Like, so that was a keeper. <laughs> I didn't let that one go. <laughs> Did you get the uh, new tool album CD with like the uh, LCD screen or, or, or some shit built into it? I did not get any of those. And I didn't get any from the store because I was confused when I looked at the wholesale price of it. I think those sold for like 50 or $60. And so the wholesale price was somewhere around $40. And I was like, I couldn't understand how they had the gall to charge $40 for a compact disc. So I passed and then like with all hot releases, you have about three days to put your order in and then they're all sold out. So once right. I found out they had all that cool stuff, they were long gone and missed the window. Yeah, actually, um, I haven't even listened to that album. I'm not really a big Tool fan, but that did kind of intrigue me just to, if I ever laid eyes on one, just to check it out, just to see how they did that. But mm-hmm. I don't lose much sleep over it, you know, <laughs> not, not owning it. Um, speaking of gimmicks, we just got some Rush reissues in for um, the store, vinyl reissues, and some of them are hologram editions. So the record has etched into the vinyl grooves so that when the light hits it, it creates a hologram in the air above the record. I, huh. I've never actually seen one in person before. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, I'll just see if I can find a YouTube video or something on that and see how that looks. That sounds pretty interesting. Sounds pretty intriguing, actually. Yeah, they, they're definitely there. And I'd, I'd heard about it maybe six or seven years ago and thought it sounded kind of dumb. But, I mean, if you're going to play a record anyway, you might as well have something trippy to look at while you're <laughs> sitting there, you know? Yeah, I mean, people pay to go see uh, a Dio hologram, so might as well have one in the living room too, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's get back on track here. Uh, let's see... Uh, trading cards or stickers? 
trading cards at this point. Okay. Um, Master of Reality or Volume 4? That's impossible to answer. (laughs) You got to pick one. (laughs) Uh, Master of Reality. Yeah, that, that... that is a uh, catch twenty two question, I know, but <laughs> you know, I like, uh, yeah, I like some questions make people squirm. <laughs> we could do this whole podcast about like the first six or eight Sabbath albums. You know, it's like it, I never get tired of talking about that band. Or dude, music. if you want to do that in the future, like I can get Micah on here too, and we can just like go through them, and like we could do a whole series or whatever. Man, I'm all about it. So yeah, just let me know. Uh, power metal or power metal or traditional metal traditional metal yeah i think i'm i'm being a little more traditional too but a lot of power metal has traditional elements in it so it's almost the same sometimes yeah i mean i do dig power metal but just not i don't encounter as much of it as i like as say like traditional stuff like okay i got you um beavis and butthead or metalocalypse beavis and butthead yeah, it's hard to go. It's hard to go against the original, but I do yeah. love Metalocalypse a lot too. It's hilarious, but you know, Beavis and Butthead are like the original Heshers. Well, not the original, but classic. Just <laughs> a lot of the metal fans that you meet, those are those guys, you know. Yeah, I mean, the episode Couch Fishing, I think it was like one of the first ones I ever saw, and I do. I just remember that so vividly, like just laughing. And the videos they played were fucking amazing. Like the ones that they wrote, the ones that they didn't make fun of were, were amazing. I mean, sometimes they put some like, you know, winger on there or something like that for a joke. But I mean, the, the, the real good ones that apparently Mike Judge was a big fan of and wanted to like promote were like, they're all like A plus, you know, bands and videos. So it was a really cool time, man, for music fandom. Yeah. The, the funny thing about Beavis and Butter is before I ever saw that, my housemates and I used to do pretty much what those two did. Like we'd watch MTV and just shit talk about the videos and see who yeah. be the most scathing and insulting to the artists that were playing. Unless, unless it was like headbangers ball and then something cool came on. We were just like awe stricken, you know, like, but yeah. Beavis and Butthead were. Let me play devil's advocate on that one. Were you guys also virgins? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. I'll just wonder, you know. Uh let's see. Uh sleep or high on fire. I'll have to go with high on fire. I mean I love Yeah, I think I'm hands. I'm with you on that one. Alright, man. Last one here. Better place to buy vinyl. Walmart or cracker barrel? Uh, Walmart, I guess. I didn't know Cracker Barrel sold vinyl. Uh, yeah, actually, they do. If you look hard enough, you can find like Bob Seger's greatest hits or Are you serious? something something of that nature. Yeah, it's it's there. Wow. You just got to really hunt for it. Amazing. It's mostly like old country reissues too, but I haven't really spent a lot of time like in that gift area part of Cracker Barrel. Um, well, if my wife ever listens to this, I'll apologize now. But dude, having a having a daughter like an infant daughter, like uh-huh. the clothes or just like this. It's like, a, a, it's like a moth going to a light, man. Like she just can't <laughs> help herself. It's just like you go in and she's like, I promise I won't go shopping. And you know, she's like, I, go, I gotta go to the bathroom. When she comes back into the restaurant, uh-huh. she comes in with a bag of like clothes and shit. Mm-hmm. So like, 
So yeah, I've been in the gift shop more than I care to, and I've looked all through there, and yeah, there's vinyl records there for sale, and I, I browse through them every single time, and it's always the same ones. I'll have to always. check that out. Yeah. Well, that's, there you go. That's why vinyl sales are so through the roof, is because weird places like that are selling stuff that uh, people just keep on buying forever and ever. Have you bought a record from Walmart? I never have, no. I ha- well, I've got a foreigner greatest hits in red vinyl from there. I was like, you can't buy red vinyl from Walmart. It's like it's against code. Like I don't know what code it is, but there is one out there, and you just broke it. And huh. she's like, I don't care. I'm like, okay, whatever. So, yeah. But <laughs> I have fun messing with people. I did find the Caius reissues at Barnes and Noble. I was just kind of like looking through the record bins with no expectations whatsoever came across um welcome to sky valley and the other one the uh, first one and i was like what uh, what i gotta buy this so i think those that's the only vinyl i've ever bought from a non-record store that's a pretty uh that's a pretty obscure band for such a big chain like that I'm yeah not saying they're obscure but i'm just saying like that kind of band and that kind of store is a little awkward yeah it was really strange so that's why i had to grab it and then those reissues sold out everywhere too. So I'm glad I grabbed them because they became fairly hard to get after that. Are there any, um, any uh, reissues or releases coming out in the near future? You're pretty excited about stocking. Uh, the other one that comes to mind is the first Opeth album. Is it Orchid? Yeah, I think it is Orchid. But yeah, they're reissuing that. And it's, I think it's a double, two LP deluxe set. And I already have my order in cause I don't want to miss that reissues. I haven't heard of many. I, I feel like the, the virus has kind of put a, a damper on releases as well. There aren't a lot of like big releases that I'm seeing advertised or getting bulletins about people are still putting out independent stuff, obviously, but as far as major reissues or like, big A-list band releases. I cannot think of any off the top of my head. So the only ones I've seen that really caught my attention was Merciful Fates re-releasing, I think, their first three albums on vinyl, but they're not remasters. They're just, like, right from the source and and cut to vinyl. So I'm pretty stoked about that because I actually don't have any Merciful Fate vinyls. Nice. Especially Melissa... And um, ah, what's the first one? I'm drawing a blank. Anyway, yeah, the first one of Melissa, I don't have those. And those are like some classic albums. So mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. stoked about those. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're doing a colored and black. So yeah, this should be pretty cool. The on Kind of on this topic, um, one of the things that's been kind of frustrating over the past couple years of running the record store part of Shade Beast is kind of figuring out what people want and like ordering the the right amount of things. And and I always seem to, or often will err on the wrong side. Like I'll get maybe five copies of something and it's a huge release, like Bell Witch's uh, Mirror Reaper album. I was woefully understocked for how popular that wound up being. And then there'll be things that I think are going to be big and I'll, I'll get like 30 copies and it just doesn't move like there's no interest. So to kind of deal with that, one of the sh- sort of adjustments that we're making with the vinyl that we carry 
is we're really going to focus on like classic and essential records that people always seem to buy and maybe let maybe 10 to 20% of the business be new releases and, and current stuff. Cause that seems to be where our sales wind up, you know, like there'll, there'll be something that I think people really want to buy from shade beast, but they won't buy many because everyone's pre-ordered it from the label or through Bandcamp. So we're just trying to provide a service and not really be like a parasite, you know? Yeah. People just keep on buying uh, the classics like sleeps, dope smoker and acid baths. When the kite string pops, I think are probably the two biggest selling records of our, since we've been in business. I, we've easily sold more than 50 to 60 copies of that acid bath record. And every time we get it in stock, it sells out. It's crazy. Oh, that uh, first Marshall Fate album is uh, Don't Break the Oath. It just came to me while you were talking. So yeah, yeah Don't we, Break the Oath and Melissa are being reissued. Yeah. I, I was going to say that, but I was afraid that was the wrong band. <laughs> but yeah. No, you were right. I just, like, this time of night, I start forgetting stuff I should know. So sometimes it takes me a while to remember (laughs) getting old well it's like when you go into a record store a bookstore you immediately forget everything that you've been wanting for the past six months you just you cannot remember so you have to keep a list being kind of in the record selling trade there's so many names so many band members so many releases it's it all starts to run together sometimes and it's like takes me like 30 seconds to remember what i was who that was or what that record name was and such and such. Yeah. I know what you mean. Like, um, I'm pretty good acquaintances with, uh, Patrick Whitaker who writes for, um, riff relevant Mm -hmm. and man, that dude, like he'll be telling me about somebody like I've never heard of and he'll know like five or six bands. I probably never heard of that. That guy's played in. Mm -hmm. I'm like, dude, (laughs) how do you know all this stuff? He just knows it. Like it doesn't matter if it's like mainstream or, or just at the local level. If he's into it, man, he's really into it. So, yeah, some people just like have a knack for just remembering a oh, lot yeah. of a lot of useless information in the in the grand scheme of things. But you know that's his job. So I mean, he does it well. So yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah the the customers that come into Shade Beast make me remind me on a regular basis that I don't really know shit about music. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I do, but like they can name every member of, of a band like of Saxon or everyone who's ever been in thin Lizzy. And I'm just like, how the fuck do you remember all this? Like, I, I don't, I don't have that kind of uh, data storage capabilities. Yeah. Like this by is the only Saxon member I know. I mean, like, I mean, I know there's probably been other ones, but I can, I can tell you one of them yeah. right now, you know, I mean, l- let me go ahead and name drop like Thomas Dale, uh, Justin Norris, and John Minsmoyer. Those three people I can name off the top of my head who come into the store and they're just like encyclopedias of um, metal knowledge. <laughs> I'm like, they're, they're talking over my head half the time. Or if I need facts, I'm like, what was the name of that, the third song on that second record? And they know it. I'm like, wow, <laughs> crazy. Yeah, yeah, I've never been, I've never been that good at <laughs> stuff like that. Like there's a few albums I could probably tell you track listing front to back, you know, but it's very far and few be in between. Yeah. Like pretty much the classic Metallica albums, I can do that. 
I'd probably do the uh, first uh, two Pantera albums and maybe like South of Heaven, Slayer, yeah. and yeah, uh, same here. White, and Zombie, White Zombies, uh, Devil Music Volume 1. I know that one pretty well. Even though right now I probably couldn't remember half of them because it's been so long since I listened to that album. Well, my problem is there was a good 10 or 15 years where I didn't listen to metal that much. And I probably shouldn't admit that. But around the time when Pantera came around like 92 or so i started listening to a lot of indie rock and hip-hop and stuff and i literally in grunge of course and spent most of the 90s just listening to like rock and weird stuff until like the late 90s a lot of electronic stuff that was coming out was really cool like the breakbeat stuff or trip-hop and stuff and it wasn't really until about 2005 when like the stoner metal thing started coming back around again. Um, people hate this band Wolf Mother, but the first Wolf Mother album, the first Sword album, I found out about High on Fire and Torch around that time. And that really just sort of relit the fire for me. And I got, got heavily into metal at that point and really haven't bothered with any other genre since then so it's funny you mentioned wolf mother and the sword because they were supposed to play they were supposed to open for primus on the uh yeah. farewell to kings tour they were doing covering the rush album mm-hmm. so i was actually like surprised that the sword actually got back together for that but um they're releasing like two uh compilation albums and they're kind of mm-hmm. cool sounding, but I don't know if I'll buy either one of them because I think I've heard a lot of that stuff before. Yeah, I've, I'm so familiar with all the records. I don't think I'd really need a compilation unless it had some unreleased stuff on it. Well, some of it is like unreleased and some of it's like demos and some of it's like cover songs and stuff hmm. for like the vinyl one. And then the CD one, I think, is just like almost essentially a greatest hits package or something like that. But it's funny you mentioned Wolf Mother because like – I actually like Wolf Mother pretty good, even though I never I've never seen them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I know what you mean by people like hating on them. Like I'm not really sure why, but this is one of those bands like you know. Yeah, I don't think you can say. Obviously, their their first record was their best, and they they kind of lost it after their the drummer and bass player, the original rhythm section left. But anything you can say about them, you can say about most doom or stoner metal bands or at least a lot of them you know they're being derivative and recycling riffs and sounding like they're trying to conjure up decades past you know um I, so i don't really understand the the hatred but at the same same time i'm probably biased because i i saw them at a tiny little club in atlanta called the drunken unicorn in 2006 it was like their first u.s tour and there were only about 30 people there and I got to talk to Andrew and stuff. So I felt like they were an, an underground band and then they went big and now they're like a commercial act and stuff. But I still think of them as like coming from, from our world, you know, like being an indie band. Yeah. They're from um, Australia, aren't they? Yep. Yeah. I thought so. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of feel that way about the sword. Like I feel like when they're original drummer, like, uh, Nah, I can't remember his name right now. The one who played on the first three albums. Yeah, um, I, I feel like when he left, like they their uh, their sound like kind of changed for me. Like it just didn't feel as dynamic 
and like exciting anymore, you know. I mean, I thought Acrophone was a pretty good album, mm-hmm. but like I didn't really much care for High Country too much, and I really disliked uh, Used Future a lot. <laughs> like that album was like just felt so lazy to me. And then like when I was reading shit about like uh, Kyle Shut saying like they're not going to tour anymore because people quit coming out, I'm like dude, that's kind of a cop out because your last couple albums really haven't been all that spectacular, dude. I mean, that's I'm just kind of call a spade a spade here, you know. Metal fans are are ferociously loyal as long as you stay within the creative space of metal. But if you get too proggy or too commercial, too verse, chorus, verse, you know, you'll lose your your metal fan base, and you kind of can be called a traitor, you know. So it's a it's a thin line sometimes. I think I think Mastodon have felt that. Um, the sword have obviously felt it like the, the metal ethic or whatever it is that you've got to adhere to. Were you a fan of once more around the sun album? That I, I didn't like it when it first came out, but I've grown to love that record. And it's probably the one that I go back and listen to the most, believe it or not. Oh really? Um, but yeah, I'm pretty biased there too. I mean, I love the hunter. I mean, a lot of people despise that record, but I think that's a great album too. Um, It's only the most recent one that I have a hard time getting into simply because the song structures are like the least adventurous. The the playing is impeccable and amazing, but song wise, it seems less experimental or uh, adventurous as other, other records. So my thing about the, uh, the last like three albums since like Crack the Sky. Mm-hmm. So like after Crack the Sky, like I kind of understood what they were going with with the Hunter because it was like it was pretty different. And I liked about I liked about half the songs on on that album. Mm-hmm. And I actually really kind of came from a place of understanding of Once More Around the Sun. But I fucking hate that album with a passion. Really? I don't know what it is, man. I listen to it like once a year. Like maybe, maybe I'll get it. And I really, <laughs> I really don't. But um, then when they said they were like using Crack the Sky as an influence for Emperor of Sand, I was like, okay, I'm going to give these dudes another chance. And I actually really like that album, even though I think it's very copycat of crack the sky as far as like the concept album theme and like the whole, like one story, even though the story is pretty fucking dark and brutal. It's like getting diagnosed with cancer and then like dying and going through all the yeah. stages. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty sick shit, dude. I, I kind of appreciated that. So yeah, I'm like opposite. I'm opposite of you on as far as like the last few Mastodon releases go. Yeah. But still, I mean, they're one of the best bands happening oh yeah yeah you know <laughs> if they would ever come back to Asheville, i would still go see them but they never do so i don't know why but i guess it's one of those yeah. things like bron Taylor's dad works at a grocery store in Asheville. you know oh, really yeah he works well i don't know if he still does or not he used to work at like a uh like a kind of a green oriented uh grocery store with like organics and stuff you know because my wife ran into him one time she was like buying me some beer and she saw like the they released a beer with like the hunter artwork on it. Right. And she picked it up and the guy was like, Oh, my son plays in that band. And she's like, Your son plays in Mastodon? She's like, Yeah, he's the drummer. She's like, Really? So she was like all excited and had to come back and tell me and everything, you know. 
So that's how I found out about that. And I used to assume that they come to Asheville just so he could visit his dad. But dude, they haven't played Asheville in like the last uh, two, three album cycles. Like nothing. Like they just like kind of forgot about it. And getting back to the sword, like JD Kronos or Kronos, however you pronounce his name, he lives in Asheville. And dude, they haven't played Asheville in in years besides like opening up for Clutch. And they were supposed to play on his Primus tour. That's probably got canceled. But as far as like headlining shows, they haven't played, you know, in I guess four or five years, you know. Wow. When they were touring. Yeah, so I was like, that's some bullshit, man. Like these towns have been nothing but good, nothing but good for you. Like sold out shows are really high, highly attended. Then you just like drop us like we're fucking nothing, you know? It's like it's kind of a yeah, slap in the face, bands, especially when one of them lives here. <laughs> it's hard to say what what the reasoning is behind that. I mean, when bands start working with booking agents, a lot of time they don't really aren't directly involved with deciding which which dates are on their tours and whatnot. Yeah, I understand that, but I mean, the Orange Peel works with like AC Entertainment and another one. I mean, it's like the two major booking agencies that book like thousand to two thousand capacity venues. You know, so I mean, if they play there before, I mean, they they'll play there again. I mean, well, way I see it, like I don't see why you would drop it. I mean, there's bigger venues too. Now there's like two outdoor venues they could play that hold like you know two to five thousand people. You know, True. stuff like that. So I mean, there's places to play. And to stay with your growth. But I don't know why it's yeah. like fell off the face of the earth here all of a sudden, you know. But oh well. That's enough bitching from me about it. <laughs> <laughs> what can you do? Yeah, just hope they come back one day, I guess. So um so I'm hoping the Elder and Basque tour happens in November because um Mike has kinda got me into that new Elder album pretty good. I'm kind of like yeah. wouldn't mind seeing seeing them play that album, at least most of it, on tour. Same I mean, here. it's fucking short and it's long. It's like five songs, like fifty five minutes or something. It's insanely long for five songs. I mean, it's essentially like an EP, you know, because <laughs> you know? yeah, it's less yeah. than seven songs. So it's it's funny. I'm the, a huge Elder fan, but I've only listened to that twice since it came out. And I don't feel like I've even really cracked into it, like gotten my head around it. Um, so I need to get on that. I'll have to listen to it first thing in the morning. Yeah, there's a lot in there. I mean, it's you kind of got to like pick apart the focus on and then just kind of like, you know, absorb it and then move on to the next. I mean, there's the a lot in there. The, elephant, the new Elephant Tree came out on the same day and I wound up getting totally smitten with that record that day. And uh, uh Unfortunately, Elder got the short end of the stick, and I didn't get back around to him. But I'll, I'll remedy that tomorrow morning for sure. On a unrelated note to stoner metal, um, are you a fan of the band uh, Vader, the Polish band? Yeah, what I've heard of them, I like. I haven't like delved into them deeply. Like they're one of those bands, kind of like um, I don't know, uh, Bolt Thrower that. I recognize as being incredible, but for some reason I haven't like had the time to like really explore them like properly. Well, I was going to say their new album just came out. It's like, it's like the exact opposite of elder. It's like 11 songs in like 30 minutes, but dude, it is so fucking heavy, man. It's really yeah. good. I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. Like I just had a Spotify list recommended to me. I was like, Hey, why the fuck not? And I was like, Holy shit. Like, I listened to this whole album on the way home. 
you know? <laughs> so, yeah, you should check it out. It's worth it. I will do that. I think the last record that completely blew my mind was the Blood Incantation record, um, Hidden History of the Human Race. It had a lot of hype around it, and we got it into the store. And I had heard their earlier release, uh, Starspawn, but didn't it didn't really stick out in my mind. But man, that is a heavy, heavy record. Like this psychedelic kind of space death metal. I'll uh, I'll put that on my list actually right now. Definitely. Okay, man. Well, I have to go about an hour and a half of your time. Um, so everyone can find you at shadebeast.com, correct? That is correct. Yep. We, uh, we have pivoted okay. because of this crisis and we're basically just an online business right now. And uh, hopefully we'll be opening the store up and hopefully in a couple months. Are you guys on a Discogs by any chance? Uh, I do have an account on there where I would sell more collectible stuff like used things that, um, we didn't have in the store, but I haven't sold anything through there in quite a while. And um, when you buy new records from labels and distros, they don't really like you moving them on Discogs since you're supposed to be retailing and not essentially like selling on the secondary market, which is what Discogs is essentially. But um, no, just we basically only sell through ShadeBeast.com now. I was just wondering because I, I just started made this Cogs account because I was bored and I was just wondering if you were on there. <laughs> it's I was just like I mean, you know adding my stuff up. I'm a customer of Discogs and for sure. I mean every time there's something that I want that's sold out elsewhere, I'll I'll pay the price and bite the bullet and spend fifty dollars on Discogs for it. You know. Yeah, there's a lot on there I could blow a lot of money on, but <laughs> I've been holding back. You just never bad. know. <laughs> All right, man. And um, do you still do you guys still have your uh, Patreon going? We do actually, and it's kind of shifted. We're now like a private social club out of the store, as well as being a retail store. So through our Patreon sponsorship, you're essentially a member of what we're calling the Shade Beast Social Club. So that means you can come to the lounge in the store and drink beer for free from our beer sponsors. Um, you get discounts on merchandise, free swag, like T-shirts and stickers and stuff like that. Um, and if you don't live in Athens, you can still support us through Patreon and, and get stuff and and uh, discounts on ShadeBeast.com. Okay. That's pretty cool. Like, we do this for as Patreon also, you know, just to make money to put toward the band since yeah, yeah, playing out is not a possibility right now. <laughs> so... It's like we just try to get one dollar up front. Everybody's doing what they can to uh, to adapt. I think. Well, me and Mike have been talking about doing a podcast for a long time because, like, sometimes at band practice, like if it's just me and him that show up, we'll just sit there and sh- shoot the shit about music or mm-hmm. Star Wars or whatever. And like, dude, we could just do podcast and like you know do a Patreon, charge people like a dollar a month to you know listen to us BS and you know yeah. maybe make some money on the side. So. When the tour, when the uh, playing out thing became, you know, uh, playing out was not an option. Then it was like, yeah, we got time now. We can do this. So, <laughs> yeah, but we do now. Just talk yeah. to people we know about music. A lot of people are coming up with like video, like things to do with Zoom, like interviewing bands and things like that. We we have a YouTube channel 
where I was kind of single-handedly interviewing people on the couch at Shade Beast. Um, but I've never really been happy with the production value of that. And we're always talking about doing it properly with multiple cameras and stuff. So I think once things get back to quote normal, we'll resume doing morbid couch interviews. And there's been some talk of doing another series, just kind of like a casual one, like um, our intern Olga call, calls it shit talk at shade beast. So that might be actually what <laughs> the title of it becomes. <laughs> That's a pretty good name, actually. I like that. Yeah, well, the concept of that would be just to pick a topic and that two people disagree on and just let them go at it, you know, like the best Black Sabbath album or whether, oh, okay. whether Opeth suck or not, you know. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned the uh, best Black Sabbath album. I, had, I interviewed the uh, guys from Howlin' Giant, and I asked the guitar player what the best uh, Sabbath album was, and like he would not answer it. I was like, dude, Come on, you gotta answer it. He just like wouldn't. He's like, no, fuck it, I'm not answering it. It's impossible. <laughs> that's, like, all right. Yeah, you can't. I mean, at least as far as the first six go, they're yeah. just different chapters of the same body of work. And well, dude, I'm gonna go out on limb and say I think Paranoid is the worst out of the six albums. Oh, I no really way. believe that. No way. Yes, I do. That I do because per- I think the I think the song Paranoid is like one of the weakest songs they have in their discography. Nope. I'm not saying I'm not saying the Paranoid album is terrible. I just say like out of the first six, I think it's the weakest. So, but hey, man, we can we can have that for another time. We can do that podcast on that. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> Social distance, so we can't get mad and punch each other. Exactly. Yeah. Pick, right. pick other controversial bands. Uh, Black Sabbath is a pretty controversial one because you say something about wrong about Sabbath, it's kind of like eh. Oh, it, might, yeah. it might not have to be your friend after all, you know? Exactly. So, yeah, I've heard, I've heard a lot of people say that uh, they actually prefer the uh, Dio era to the Ozzy era. And I'm like, you know, that's a pretty valid point, but you're wrong. Yeah. I can understand someone preferring those two or three records, but um, like discounting it as like the Ozzy era is not being ultra important is, is idiotic, you know? It's just not even up for well there wouldn't have been a dio era without the aussie era success i mean you know it's just yeah you gotta give kudos you gotta give props to where the success came from for sure so definitely it was an evolution yep oh well speaking of that i forgot one of the questions um heaven or hell or mob rules oh man albums um i i've gone back and forth on that since i was a kid and just recently, I, I was listening to Heaven and Hell, and I shifted back to Heaven and Hell. I was like, this album's better. Okay. Um, I, I think Heaven and Hell's got better production, but I like the songs on Mob Rules more. But again, I mean, they're just two sides of the same coin. You know, they're both. <laughs> I, the correct answer is whichever one I'm listening to at the time. <laughs> yep, I'd agree with that. I'll take that answer. Yeah. Okay, man. Well, I've up an hour and a half of your time, so man, I appreciate you coming on. And um, yeah, it was a blast. I, if you want to do some more um, stuff later on, like you know, like talking about uh, Sabbath albums or whatever, man, we can we can do it like on a Saturday night. I'll get Micah and we can just damn um, talk it out. You know, can you can have more than two people on this? Obviously, invite. Yeah, yeah, I've done up to. I've actually had five, including myself, at one time. It was it was quite difficult, but. It worked.
but yeah, three is pretty, pretty three is a pretty good um, number because it's easy to edit. You know, it's not too bad. Cool. You don't have to like moderate too much. After three, it gets a little, a little hairy sometimes. Yeah, I can imagine. There's a lot of using that chat box to communicate, you know, because people are talking over each other. Then you got to like space it out or delete unimportant shit. Someone might have mumbled, you know, right. in the background. And yeah, so I'd keep it two or three. So Makes sense. yeah, it could be done. Cool. Yep. Alrighty, man. Well, I appreciate it, man. It was fun. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, like I said, I'll uh, I'll let you know, and then uh, we'll try to get some of the Shade Beast guys to uh, throw a buck to hear what the uh, Lord of Shade Beast has to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll promote the hell out of it and post about it and stuff. I, I'm on Facebook jail until Tuesday evening, so I won't be able to do it until then. Yes, I heard. Uh, I was on. I was actually on before I got on, and I saw that you posted too much about Oreos. <laughs> No, that's not what it was. I was I was oh, posting okay. some, I posted some uh, RL Burnside videos, and this guy and I were talking about how great he is, and uh, like there's a couple videos of him from the '70s where his wife and kids are like in the room, or like sitting on a picnic table watching him play, and it always struck me that his wife looks at him like she can't stand him. So in my comment, I said. Uh, his wife always looks like she's thinking this piece of shit doesn't deserve no respect. He's good for nothing. And then I quoted a blues lyric that said, men are beasts and women are the devil. And I guess the women are the women are the devil were the words that got me like that got flagged as hate speech. And bam, I was seven days ah. after seven days. It's like, Jesus. wow, it doesn't take much did, anymore. Did you put in quotations at least? Nope. No, would that have helped? Uh, maybe that's why. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to say something misogynist or racist, at least quote the guy who said it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not saying shit anymore. I'm, like, going to just be as generic as possible on there. Because I use it for shaping stuff, and I can't really yeah. afford to be kicked off. So I'm just going to have to shut my mouth from now on and be more of a – yeah. It's unfortunate it comes to that. That's why I, I just like I'm like one of those people that like barely comment. I'll just like everything. I don't like say shit. Because yeah. like I'll say something, I'll be like, yeah, this is pretty funny. But when it's like out of context or just reading it like real dry or like whatever mood you're in, it can come off as a real like hateful or being an asshole or dismissive. And it's like, no, nah, I didn't really mean it like that at all. Yeah, yeah. But there's just no context to put it in, so it just sounds like what you want it to sound like. So exactly. what am I gonna do? Argue? You know? It's just whatever. All right, man. Cool. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I'll be back in touch in a few days. Cool. Talk to you later. All right, man. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Alehorn Podcast. For more of this podcast and other podcasts in the Alehorn Podcast Network, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the Alehorn. Subscriptions start at a dollar, and each tier gets you greater perks, such as exclusive Patreon-only podcasts, free song downloads, merch discounts, and more. Until next time, stay headed.